0: How much should you pay for a property? How do you actually determine what is it worth? This is a question I'm often asked, and today I will share my tips. My name is Dan. Welcome to the Passive Income Doctor podcast. Just a reminder, this podcast is for entertainment purposes. Nothing here is financial advice. Please speak to your trusted professional advisors. Views expressed by podcast participants are solely their own. A common question I'm asked is, how do you actually determine how much to offer for this property? This could be an owner-occupier or investment property. So today, I'm going to share my tips and insights about how do I determine how much to pay for a property? What is it actually worth? So often when you come across um, a listing, you know, say on realestate.com or domain, um, you know, and they might say things like expressions of interest um, or price guide and then give a, you know, big range, you know, 10% difference. Or they might say offers from, you know, 555 or, you know, offers over 1 million. And often it's very vague and it's hard to determine, you know, what is its true value? You know, I've heard crazy things that some people say, oh, just offer 10% above the price guide. Or in a buyer's market, you know, just low-ball and, you know, subtract 10%. But often, you might not know what the strategy for the listing price is. You know, maybe they are underquoting, But then there's also times where some agents, say out-of-area agents who don't have um, as much experience, might accidentally put um, a price too high and then often it might sit on the portal for a long time um, you know and everyone thinks what's wrong with it and then don't touch it but maybe it was just overpriced and it's still a decent property so we kind of want to have an edge on our um, competitors and have and also as well not waste time looking at properties that are way above our price range you know um, a lot of times I you know go to auction um, just observing and I can see you know after the first one bid or couple of bids that there's a lot of people in the crowd visibly disappointed they would have probably spent a lot of money effort money in terms of you know building and pests only to find out they really didn't have a shot to start with and then also as well if the market's moving If you have a couple of these auctions that you miss out on um, and then you've kind of wasted time when you should have been looking at some other properties that you could have purchased. Some other people will look at online valuations, you know, some of these free reports that some um, brokers uh, will give you. Uh, a lot of websites have these kind of automatic valuation models you know such as on the house corelogicrealestate.com.au but a lot of the time the variation between the bottom and the top of the range um you know is like 20% essentially making it not helpful at all you know if a property they're saying is worth anywhere from 480 to 620,000 <laughs> you know that doesn't really help you Narrow down how much you should offer. And a lot of times um, there are some instances where it's wildly inaccurate, um, especially if there's not many recent comparable sales or sometimes if, if it's a super unique property, um, it won't have an automatic valuation number on there. So the bottom line, the only real way to know what a property is worth is to do a proper comparable sales analysis. This is one of the key methods that valuers use. Bear in mind, of course, valuers, they are professionals, but they are human too. So, you know, if you have two different valuers to the same property, same day, you can come up with two um, different valuations. Um, you know, usually they are similar to each other, but um, not always. So, in terms of valuation methods, um, I did a Bit of research, and I guess you can kind of break it into three different categories. So, one, as I mentioned, comparable sales. Number two, the cost approach. So, this is where you figure out what the cost of the land is or would be, and then you add what is the cost um, of the dwelling. So, this is often used for, say, um, a newer house where you kind of know the value and it hasn't depreciated in terms of the dwelling costs. And then you can add other. Um, costs as well, such as if there's a um, secondary drilling, like a granny flat, if there's you know a detached garage, if there's a carport, etc. And number three is kind of valuation based on yield. So this is more used in say commercial properties. Um, as generally speaking, commercial property investors are more income focused. So you know they might say the industrial warehouse in. This regional Queensland town is usually 7% net yield. So then you can kind of find out what the rent is, whether it's true rent, and then when, and then you can kind of work backwards and to see what um, the corresponding price should be in terms of valuation for that commercial property. But today we're mainly talking about residential property. And we're going to focus more on the comparable sales um, technique which I think anyone who has an interest and has some time can do themselves. So obviously, when we look at comparable sales, we want to look at recent sales, you know, ideally in the last three months. Um, Sometimes if it's in a market where there's not many comparable products, you might need to go back in time. But bear in mind, if it's a rising market or a rapidly decreasing market, it might not be as accurate probably okay if it's a steady market i mean another kind of tactic you can do is look at um you know the next door suburb and see if there's anything comparable and please ensure they're actually comparable you know so many times a selling agent will cherry pick what they say are comparable sales but often these properties they mention are you know superior you know might have a nice interior might be larger block might be a more premium pocket of the suburb. Um, so obviously, the selling agent is trying to portray this subject property in the best light. Um, so definitely, you want to assess, is it true comparable? Now, if there, what happens if there's no direct comparables? You know, life is a bit harder. You know, you kind of, you know, and there's no exact science. It's more of an art. You know, if it has one less bedroom or has no garage, you might sh- subtract you know, a nominal amount, you know, maybe 20 grand or 50 grand, depending on the market. Um, you know, there are kind of other factors which are hard to quantify, which I'll talk about in a moment, things like views or an odd shape block. So I talked about how if it's a very kind of low volume suburb or tightly held suburb with not many recent transactions, um, or if it's a unique property, it can be very hard to to kind of compare you might find a property that is similar that was sold say three years ago and you might have to overlay what the capital growth rate has been for that suburb over the last three years. And it can be tricky, you know, you you might end up with a range uh, but at least this is a start. So you get into the ballpark of what this subject property is valued at. So comparable sales, you want to look at the land size, the number of bedrooms, bathrooms, is it double lockup garage or is it a carport? you know, how nice is the interior in terms of the state, any recent renovations, and also the floor plan as well. And if you can find a property that matches up in all these aspects, then you're on to a, a winner in terms of you can be more confident of the valuation. Bear in mind as well, you know, even if it's the same square meters, make sure if the block is the same shape, you know, if one's triangular, one's rectangular, Usually the triangulars um, is considered inferior. Um, Also the slope of the block, you know, if you're doing a knockdown rebuild, building on the sloping block adds significant costs. Also as well, site access, if it's a battle axe block, you know, where one house is behind the other, um, the back house, even if it's the same size of land, is often valued lower because you could argue some of that land is lost in terms of, being used for the driveway rather than as a courtyard or backyard. Maybe also hard to get builders or if you're doing a renovation, hard to get move equipment down a narrow driveway um, into the back property. Also as well, if it's a busy road, um, if you're doing a renovation, big renovation or um, rebuild, um, if it's on a busy road, you might need a traffic management plan, which again will add to costs. A busy road, whilst we're on this topic, you know, can be considered advantage if you're looking at it from a development or future rezoning potential. But the downside is owner-occupiers a lot of the time won't like the noise and traffic issues associated. So you may be eliminating a big pool of future buyers. And for capital growth, you want to appeal to a wide range of future buyers. Corner block is controversial. Some people like having kind of less neighbours However, the downside is there's often more kind of pedestrian traffic. You know, they might shortcut across, you know, the corner of your property um, rather than sticking to the footpath. You have more kind of um, uh, verge or you know, the council strip to mow or look after and kind of less privacy as well. You've, um, you know, two sides of the property where people can walk past. And um, what I've found is a lot of the times the corner block, often the kind of backyard is smaller as well. Um, the front yard often may be large, but then again, you know, kind of less privacy and, and maybe deemed less usable. What are some aspects that can affect the valuation? Um, if it's a north-facing rear, you know, assuming the living areas are in the rear um, you know, often this is desirable if we're talking about Australia, which is in the southern hemisphere. Um, so if you have a north-facing rear, you know, you get kind of sun throughout the day, morning and afternoon. And look, it's kind of 10% premium or so if you look at the identical property or very similar property on the same street, the one with the north-facing attracts a premium. A larger frontage can also be beneficial from a development point of view. So again, if two blocks same size in terms of square meters, but one has a wider frontage, the wider frontage generally is valued higher. Views can be very hard to put a price on. Often these properties rarely go on sale, but when they come up for sale, they often go for a higher price than what's expected or reserve. Um, as I said, it can be very hard to put a price on it. Um, so sometimes. People pay a high amount for it, but over the long term, it seems to go up in capital value, especially views that can't be built out. And you can imagine it might be difficult to purchase, but then later, um, if you have to sell it, you know, again, you'll be attracting a wide pool of buyers, including some people who may, you know, really, really want that view and be happy to pay a premium for it. Heritage listing. Now, this could be a positive or negative. If the house you're buying is the only one in the street with a significant heritage overlay, this can negative impact the value, especially if all the surrounding houses are then, you know, significantly renovated or knocked down, rebuilt, and yours is kind of the odd one out. Whilst if you're in an area where all the streets, um, all the houses are kind of heritage listed and it's kind of consistent streetscape, You know, you could argue it's a positive. Often though, you have to look into the rules about what you can and can't do in terms of um, repairing, renovating or renovating the interior. Um, So definitely check with um, local government. Other things that can negatively affect a property value could be high voltage power lines um, or if you're close to them um, or if there's a significant overlay such as flood, bushfire. Um, A tip is kind of get a quote from insurance companies and see, firstly, if they will cover it or if it seems significantly higher than, you know, a similar property in the next street or the next suburb. I thought I'd take this opportunity to talk about challenging valuations. So obviously, valuation is needed when you purchase a property. It's also often needed when trying to refinance. And obviously, there's desktop valuations where the valuer or the bank just uses the online model or they look at pictures online or they might do a full valuation where they send a valuer out. Sometimes there's a cost involved. You have to remember that valuers are human too. So often they might put down a price and you might disagree with it, um, but try to be respectful and kind of present evidence for why you think it's you know, valued higher than what they have um, you know, I had an issue for one of my Queensland properties where the initial valuation came in at eight hundred k for refinance, but then um later was able to get it amended to nine hundred ten. So this is probably a rare, rarer, but not impossible. A good mortgage broker can help if there's a significant shortfall in valuation. You know, say you're a first home buyer and you have very limited number of funds, and depending on borrowing ninety percent of the purchase price. If the purchase price comes in, you know, say 100k short, um, then, you know, it might be in a little trouble. A good broker can help you guide through that journey. Maybe they'll go through a different bank or use a different valuer. For properties that are very unique, a bank might put a very conservative valuation. It doesn't necessarily mean that you overpay, but the bank wants to protect themselves. So I guess if it's owner-occupied, property that you really like, and you've got the ability to contribute funds to the short for in valuation, then that's fine. Um, But as I said, it could be a problem if you're a first home buyer and short on cash. So today's Mindset Minute is from Warren Buffett. Risk comes from not knowing what you are doing. So today we are talk about valuations. If you haven't done your homework on what a property is worth, and, you know, you feel like you should put an offer in, you're essentially going in blind and you're basically subject to the selling agent putting pressure on you to increase your offer. Um, or another bad scenario is at auction, you know, you might end up paying way over and not even know it, you know, because you're not really sure on what it's worth and there's kind of social proof with other people bidding, so you think that that the true value is, you know, higher. And you might get caught up in the adrenaline and the emotional blur that is the auction environment. But on the other hand, if you have done your homework and set your walkaway price, you know, you can then enter the auction with confidence. So again, risk comes from not knowing what you are doing. Thanks for listening to today's show. Please take a moment now to hit the subscribe button and share the podcast. Because this will help others benefit also. So until next time, keep taking steps to improve your financial health.